Good morning, and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's live stream of our worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit and, and in spirit every Sunday morning during this time that we can't gather together in person because of the resurgence of the COVID-19 virus in our area. Let us hope together that this resurgence recedes soon so that we can all be together again. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I welcome each of you to our service this morning. Please know that though we cannot be together in person, I can still sense the love generated by this religious community. If you're new to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, I especially want to welcome you this morning. If you are on a platform where you can do so, please feel free to say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. Also, we have a new page on our website. It contains all of the links you may need to access during our Sunday morning services. There you can find an online form for visitors where you can let us know a little bit more about you, and everyone can find a link to our order of service for this service. You can also, if you need them, find the links to these live streams on Facebook and on Vimeo.com. Just go to austinuu.org. You'll see a link to that at the top of the page. It was also in the Friday email from the church and today's Sunday email from the church. If you aren't getting those emails and would like to, go to austinuu.org and scroll down. You'll see where you can sign up for them. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us this morning, either by saying hello in the comments, if you have the capability to do so, or by simply sensing the heartstring connections that bind us together. Please join me as we light the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today is by John Ruskin, a white English writer of the Victorian era. To see clearly is poetry, prophecy, and religion all in one. One of the things that helps us maintain a sense of connection with one another, even during this time we can't come together in person, is to have a common religious purpose. And for First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is our mission. This congregation created our mission together. We put it on our wall here in the sanctuary, and we say it together every Sunday so that we might more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each week, to explore further what that term, beloved community, means, we've been having a moment for beloved community. Today's topic is prophetic religion. I'll talk more about that in just a bit. For now, though, I want to share with you the need for us to raise our prophetic voices on protecting voting rights and the integrity of our election system. 
Though one such effort failed in the U.S. Senate last week, the struggle is not over. We cannot allow it to be over. Nineteen states have passed at least 34 laws that restrict voting access and or threaten the integrity of our election systems. Some of the things that these voter suppression laws do is make it harder to register to vote, harder to vote, and purge voter rolls. Make it illegal to give water or food to folks standing in line to vote, often for hours on end. Reduces the number of early voting days, removes weekend voting days, and reduces the number of polling places. Here's just a few examples of the attacks on the integrity of our voting system. Gerrymandering to dilute the voting power of certain groups. Placing people into local elections offices who have stated they're willing to overturn election results they don't like and empowering state legislatures to overrule local elections officials if those decision, those officials make decisions they don't like. Most of these efforts target specific groups such as people of color, Native Americans, younger voters, single mothers, and the, and the disabled. Now, confronting all of this by necessity involves political activism, and some folks understandably feel uneasy about mixing religion and politics. As Unitarian Universalists, though, our faith's religious principles affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person and the use of democratic process. So for us, this is a religious issue. I'll leave you with a couple of quotes some of you may have heard me share before. From Buddhist social activist Sulak Sivaraska. Politics without spirituality or ethics is blind. Spirituality without politics is simply inconsequential. And from our great 20th century Unitarian Universalist theologian James Luther Adams, talking about the need for public activism, freedom, justice, and love require a body as well as a spirit. We do not live by spirit alone. A purely spiritual religion is a purely spurious religion. Let's raise our prophetic voices on voting rights and election integrity then. Visit sidewithlove.org as a place to start. Good morning. Desmond Tutu was a modern prophet who spent his whole life teaching the world about overcoming injustice, about how to treat people kindly. He came from a country called South Africa, which at the time had a government of white people who were being mean to, they were oppressing the black people in that country. And so Desmond went all around the world and he asked other governments from other countries to help. He said, could you just help my government change their mind? And a lot of the other governments, big, powerful governments who could have helped without too much trouble, said, no, we are remaining neutral. Neutral or neutrality means not taking sides. It means saying, we're not going to be part of this fight. And Desmond said, that's not a thing. If you say that you're being neutral, if you say you're not taking sides in a situation like this, where there's injustice, then really you're just taking sides with the bully, 
with the oppressor. He said, imagine that an elephant stepped on the tail of a mouse. The mouse would not appreciate your neutrality. The mouse wouldn't understand that you weren't taking sides. It would only know that you're not helping it. So this book we're going to read today is based on that story. And I wanted to share it with you today so that we can honor the life's work of Desmond Tutu. But if we only read the story, we're not really honoring him. To honor him, we have to learn from what he taught us, and we have to act on that learning. So today, I want you to notice the giraffe and the gazelle in this story. I think we often like to think that we're the mice in this story, but usually we're the giraffe or the gazelle. So I'd like you to notice them and then look around your life and look for times when you could be the giraffe or the gazelle, except using your power for good. Desmond Gets Free by Matt Meyer, illustrated by Kim Pham. Desmond the mouse lived in the most beautiful meadow in all the land. Every morning, Desmond woke with the sunrise and would spend the day playing in the meadow. And every evening, Desmond would go to sleep in the middle of that meadow under the beautiful starry sky. One night, though, Desmond awoke when it was still dark out. He tried to roll over to a more comfortable spot, but something wasn't right. Desmond realized that his tail was stuck right to the ground and beginning to throb with pain. He felt behind him and there was a huge boulder that seemed to have fallen in the middle of the meadow just on his tail. Desmond pushed on the boulder and tugged on his tail. He pushed on the boulder and tugged on his tail, and he pushed and he tugged and pushed and tugged, but it was no use. When he was out of breath and had just about given up, he saw a giraffe nearby in the grass. Good news, he thought. Oh, giraffe, Desmond cried. Could you please push the boulder a few inches in the other direction so that I could go free? The giraffe looked at Desmond and laughed the way giraffes do. Silly mouse, said the giraffe. That's no boulder. That's an elephant that's fallen asleep in the middle of the meadow just on your tail. Well, if you could just wake the elephant and ask him to roll over just a few inches in the other direction, I could go free. Well, replied the giraffe, you know what they say about letting sleeping elephants lie. I find it's best not to get involved in other animals' business. I find it's best to remain neutral in times like this. Desmond quietly replied, Well, I do not appreciate your neutrality. The giraffe wandered off, and Desmond tried calling out to the elephant to wake him up, but those giant ears were just too far away on the other side of that giant elephant body. So again, Desmond pushed on the elephant and tugged on his tail. He pushed and he tugged and he pushed and he tugged, but it was no use. When he was out of breath and had just about given up again, a gazelle wandered by. Oh, gazelle, he cried. Oh, gazelle, it seems that an elephant has fallen asleep on my tail in the middle of this meadow. I'm stuck and it hurts. I wonder if you could gently wake him and ask him to roll over just a few inches in the other direction so I might go free. Well, said the gazelle, I see your problem there, but you know what they say about letting sleeping elephants lie. I find it's best not to get involved in other animals' business. I find it's best to remain neutral in times like these. Desmond replied almost to himself this time, 
I do not appreciate your neutrality. Desmond tried again to call out to the elephant. He tried again to push the giant animal away. He tried again and again to tug his little tail free, but it was no use. When he was out of breath and had just about given up for the last time, he saw another mouse wandering through the meadow. My name is Nelson. Nelson, this giant elephant has fallen asleep just on my tail in the middle of this meadow. I wonder if you might run over and call out into his giant ears and ask him to roll over just a few inches in the other direction so I could go free. Of course, said Nelson. Nelson ran all the way to the other end of that giant elephant body, and he called up to those giant elephant ears at the top of that giant elephant head. But the elephant didn't budge. The elephant heard Nelson's voice far away, but he felt too comfortable to move. Nelson ran back to Desmond, a little out of breath, and said, I have an idea. Don't move. He ran off. I won't, muttered Desmond. A little while later, though, Nelson emerged through the tall grass, and he wasn't alone. Nelson had found three other mouse friends to help, and each one of them had also brought another three friends. The whole group of them ran over to the giant head of that giant elephant. One mouse scrambled up onto the shoulders of another, and another mouse scrambled up on her shoulders, and then one after another they climbed up until the whole group of them had formed a long mouse ladder right up the side of that elephant. At last, Nelson climbed up the shoulders of his mouse friends, one on top of the other, until he was way up on that giant elephant head standing next to that giant elephant ear. Excuse me, he called out right into that ear. It seems you've fallen asleep on my friend's tail in the middle of this meadow. I wonder if you could just roll over a few inches in the other direction so he might go free. The giant elephant made a low, giant, low groan. Grumph. I'm comfortable just where I am. Go away. So Nelson asked more of his mouse friends to climb up. One by one, they helped each other up the side of the elephant. One by one, they called out into that giant elephant ear on top of that giant elephant head. Again, the giant elephant made a giant low groan. Grumph. I'm comfortable just where I am. Go away. Then Nelson had an idea. He whispered to the mice, and then all at once they yelled out together, Excuse us, it seems like you've fallen asleep on our friend's tail in the middle of this meadow. Roll over a few inches in the other direction so he can go free. This time, all those voices together right next to the elephant's ear, were too loud to ignore. I was comfortable where I was, but I'll move over if you just agree to stop making such a racket, the elephant cried out. And then the elephant rolled over just a few inches in the other direction. Nelson and the other mice helped each other climb back down, and Desmond was finally free. Desmond and Nelson and all their mouse friends spent the rest of that beautiful day playing in the middle of that beautiful meadow. Our centering reading for today is by James Luther Adams, a white Unitarian minister and theologian. The prophetic liberal church is the church in which all members share the common responsibility 
to attempt to foresee the consequences of human behavior, both individual and institutional, with the intention of making history in place of merely being pushed around by it. Only through the prophetism of all believers can we together foresee doom and mend our common ways. This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, we feel each other's loving presence, even across virtual space. Breathing together, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place of greater courage, that place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of calmness, quietness, together. And as we enter that time together, I invite you to light a candle, whether virtual or actual, a candle representing joy, sorrow, remembrance, hope, Resilience. We now enter into that sacred time of stillness and quietness together. In 1971, the New York Times and then the Washington Post began publishing information from a set of U.S. military records that would come to be known as the Pentagon Papers. Daniel Ellsberg, who had access to the information through his job with a defense contractor, had leaked the documents to the newspapers. He did so because the Pentagon Papers exposed four successive U.S. presidential administrations as having lied to the public and to Congress in the long lead-up and subsequent engagement in the Vietnam War. Predictably, the Nixon administration brought injunctions against these new sources. However, the Supreme Court soon nullified them. Daniel Ellsberg, though, believed that the public needed access to the full version of the Pentagon Papers. He enlisted the help of Alaskan Senator Mike Gravel, a Unitarian Universalist. Gravel tried to read the Pentagon Papers, all 7,000 pages of them, on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Blocked by the Senate leadership from doing so, he convened a session of the obscure Building and Ground Subcommittee and read them into the record there. 
Then Gravel and Ellsberg went looking for someone who would publish that transcript. After multiple rejections, Gravel eventually turned to the Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations, or UUA, and its publishing house, the Beacon Press. For UUA President Bob West and Beacon Press Director Gobbin Stare, publishing the Pentagon Papers was taking a great risk. The UUA was already in financial trouble. Publishing them could risk governmental harassment and other threats to his finances. Unitarian Universalists were already deeply divided over the Vietnam War. They decided that they had to publish the full text of the Pentagon Papers anyway. The Nixon administration retaliated immediately. They brought charges against Ellsberg for espionage. However, the charges were later dismissed because of governmental misconduct. Imagine that. Mr. Stair at the Beacon Press received a threatening visit from two agents from the Defense Department and a phone call from Richard Nixon himself. Bob West soon learned that the FBI had visited the bank where the UUA held its accounts. FBI agents had copied all bank records of the association, including personal checks written, to in, written by individual Unitarian Universalists to the UUA. The harassment stretched across Unitarian Universalism, with the Justice Department even opening dossiers regarding individual congregations. The Watergate scandal proved fortunate then for Unitarian Universalism as the Nixon administration soon became engulfed by that scandal and dropped its retributions against our faith. Our topic today is prophetic religion. I share this story with you as an example of when our faith did indeed act prophetically. Now, Sometimes folks tend to think of prophetic as talking about or predicting the future. It's much more, though. Here is how a group of Unitarian Universalists defined it several years back. The ancient biblical prophets, they wrote, did more than receive messages from God and predict the future. The prophets were consistent voices for justice. They called on everyone, from kings to peasants, to change their ways and align their actions with the most high, most loving, and most just values of their society. But the prophets didn't just speak. They lived their values, often at considerable risk. A contemporary prophetic church is on the cutting edge, reading the signs of its times, creating a just and loving community in its midst, and advocating passionately for a better world. By the way, though I don't have time to go into it in detail now, you can sometimes find this definition of the prophetic in places that might seem surprising at first. Watch a video of your favorite comedian. Tap in to some of your favorite science fiction. Pick up a book by one of your favorite poets. In each, you may well find folks reading the signs of their times and advocating for something better.
And likewise, to sustain our struggles for justice and give them the best chance for making real differences, we must infuse the poetic into our prophetic language. We have to be able to find humor even in the struggle and engage our, our creative imaginations to their utmost. And I believe that Unitarian Universalists have always been pulled toward this idea that the religious must be prophetic. All the way back in the 16th century, our Unitarian forebearers were among the first to stand up against some of the Catholic Church's most dogmatic doctrines, often at risk to their very lives. The early Universalists had the audacity to proclaim that a loving God would not condemn his children to burn in hell for all eternity, even up against threats from conservative religionists. In the U.S., some of our forebearers stood up for abolition, women's rights, childhood education, as well as a whole host of other social issues. We've been at the forefront of environmentalism. We've engaged in efforts to dismantle racism and other forms of oppression. Our faith was among the first to ordain women into our ministry, as well as gay and lesbian folks. These are just a few examples. And we've never been perfect there were Unitarians and Universalists that were pro-slavery, for instance. The ways in which we treated the earliest women and gay people in our ministry were far from ideal. We've struggled even more with how we've treated people of color in our ministry and, frankly, just within our larger denomination. We now have several trans ministers in our faith. Again, though, we continue to struggle and make mistakes with how we treat trans folks within our ministry and our religion more broadly. Still, though, Unitarian Universalists have continued to be called toward the prophetic, trying to recognize when we have made mistakes, forgiving ourselves and one another when we have, and continuing to work for greater justice for all. Likewise, this church has been active in the prophetic immigration justice, the environment, reproductive justice, women's rights, LGBTQI rights, anti-racism, voting rights, just to name a few. The list could go on and includes many interfaith efforts. I am so grateful to our social justice team for their leadership through this pandemic. They have found ways we can stay engaged. And so many of our church folks work with and support any number of justice-making groups. Like our broader faith, we are not always perfect. We make mistakes sometimes. But also, like our larger faith, we continue to be lured toward the prophetic. So, why is our faith so drawn toward prophetic religion, even if we make mistakes and fail? Here's a metaphor I found useful. I have always thought that it is the wind in the sail that pushes a sailboat forward, I read that in reality, the sail creates a vacuum, and the vacuum pulls the boat 
forward. For Unitarian Universalism, I think we share some theological elements that pull us toward the prophetic. The absence and reality of the dream those shared theological elements create within us lures us toward prophetic religion. Now, we have a number of different individual theologies among us. For me, though, a central theological element that we share is rooted in the fact that we are covenantal, dedicated to walking in the ways of love and right relationship with one another and with all of creation. I want to let you hear from Reverend Dr. Rebecca Ann Parker, former president of our Star King School for the Ministry and one of our great contemporary theologians. She captures our common theological elements quite eloquently. Three theological affirmations present in Unitarian Universalism stand out for me as foundational to our social justice activism. First, our positive view of human power and capacity. Second, our attention to here and now as the locus for the realization of abundance, liberation, and justice. Three, our affirmation that all souls, all beings matter. Life is an interconnected relational whole. Each of these theological affirmations has clear social justice implications. First, the positive view of human power and capacity calls human beings to exercise their agency in history. Hence, our no to slavery uh, because of the way the systems of slavery suppress the richness and the free life of each soul. Our no to sexism, to heteropatriarchy, etc. Second, our attention to here and now calls us to immediate engagement with life. Hence, our preference for action, our fondness for saying, let us look more to our deeds than to our word to declare our true religion. And thirdly, our affirmation of all souls challenges every system that divides humanity into those worthy of life and those deserving death. Hence, our allergy to war framed as the destruction of evildoers and the triumph of uh, good over evil. We say no to that. We say yes to all souls. What a wonderful summary. I'd like to focus in for a moment on Dr. Parker's assertion about orienting ourselves in the here and now. Certainly, having a prophetic vision for the future can help guide our prophetic efforts. But grounding ourselves in the here and now also can help us gain a more realistic viewpoint read the signs of our times. Perhaps more importantly, it allows us to feel and experience the heartbreak of the injustices and losses we're witnessing right now. It can inform us of the depths of our own struggle and generate more empathy and a greater sense of interconnectedness. Focusing solely on the future 
can create unrealistic expectations. It can also draw us all into an aspect of the white supremacy culture that is so ubiquitous in our society. We contend to avoid sitting with discomfort, feeling the heartbreak, by trying to move too quickly toward verbal analysis and intellectualization. Our discussions, reading books about oppression together, and intellectual analysis are vital and necessary, of course. Where our tendency toward intellectualization can lead us astray, though, is if we use it to avoid our emotions. Our emotions are a key element of our living out prophetic religion to the fullest. Again, I'm going to let you hear what Dr. Parker has to say about this. There are patterns of UU identity that are related to white supremacist culture or are expressions of white supremacist culture. And white supremacist culture has very particular ways it cultivates the emotions or shapes feeling and the senses that are highly problematic for social justice work and that sustain white identity as a disconnected, um, anesthetized identity. For Unitarian Universalist social justice work to thrive more fully, I think we have to work at disconnecting UU identity from white identity or white supremacist culture identity. And white supremacist culture has a theological and cultural um, distrust of the senses and of the emotions The simple way to say that is uh, those of us who have been formed by white supremacist culture have to recover from the training to not feel and not see and not hear. I'll close by returning to theology and what I believe is our most basic theological underpinning Universal love. Let's try something together. I invite you to close your eyes for a few minutes if you are where you can do so. Close your eyes, or if you are not where that is possible, just soften your visual focus and breathe deeply. Breathing deeply, I invite you to bring into your imagination images of people in your life whom you love very much. Imagine looking deeply into their faces, their eyes. Let your love for them swell in your heart. Now I invite you to bring into your mind representations of folks in our local community. Perhaps imagine someone who lives alone, afraid to venture forth for fear of the pandemic, lonely for in-person human contact. Let your heart break open and fill with love for them and all of the folks in our community.
where your heart has broken open. Allow the love to expand, to radiate, to encompass everyone in our state. Then let it broaden even further to all the folks in our nation, even those with whom we may disagree. Dwell in that expansive love for a moment. Then let the love grow even larger. Open your heart to our whole world, to all of humanity. Let your love surround all the creatures of this world. Then let it extend even further to all that is the sacred web of existence of which you are a part. Let your love travel outward toward the entire universe, sensing its vastness, feeling how tiny we are in all that vastness, yet also how expansive our love can be because we are an integral part of it. Dwell in that vastness of love for a moment. Now slowly open your eyes or allow your vision to refocus. My beloveds, It is that vastness of love that calls us into prophetic religion. May love lead our way. Now let there be an offering to support the mission and ministries of this church during this challenging time. If you scroll up on Facebook or go to austinuu.org or go to that page with all of the service links I was talking about earlier, you will find a link to our online secure contributions page. You have multitudes of ways to get there now. And you can also mail your contributions to the church. It's 4700 Grover Avenue, Austin, Texas, 78756. Our staff is checking the mail each week. Please join me as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we near the end of our service and prepare to return to our daily lives, may we find the joy and humor that will sustain and inform our struggles for justice. 
May our creativity flourish so that we may most effectively build the beloved community. May the poetic within us inspire our prophetic voices, even when we may be weary and the struggle has seemed long. May love be the force that blesses us and pulls us forward. Amen and blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.